mindfulness mode. To be very honest, I'm not concerned about it being perfect. I'm concerned about starting and then evolving it through the process. Hey, Mindful Tribe. Today, I am joined by a speaker, an author, a trainer, an athlete who played sports at every level from high school to professional. And he worked as a mental health therapist for 19 years. And his mission is to enhance leadership and work-life harmony. He's also the founder of youevolvingnow.com and author of a brand new book called Seven Ways to Lead. Now, if you think this sounds familiar, you're right, because my guest is Andre Young. He's been on before episode 445, and we're picking up from there and talking about leadership and so much more. So, Andre, it is so great to reconnect and have you back on the show. How are you doing? Uh, well, I'm doing great and even better now that I'm on the show. Uh, I'd like to thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure speaking with you and I love your show. And thank you guys for taking some time to listen. So I'm doing fantastic. Well, it's my honor to have you here. And let's start with this question because last time we started with, you know, what does mindfulness mean to you? But today I want to start with this. What does leadership mean to you and how does mindfulness play a role in that? Wow. Wow. Well, two great and powerful questions. And the first one, and I actually talk about it when I uh, do trainings and speaking engagements for corporations or teams, and I break down leadership in the five simple words, and it's influence, impact, protect, decide, and expectations. So when I was, uh, I didn't, at first off, I never thought that I'd be talking about leadership. I didn't think I'd be the leadership guy. I didn't think I'd be a speaker. I didn't think I'd be an author. And now I can't stop writing or shut up, you know, about it. So with so many people talking about leadership, I really had no idea how I was going to be talking about it different. And I decided and realized that leadership comes in two parts. And one is personal leadership. So how do you, how do I, how do we show up to our life? our relationships and our work in a way that makes people want to follow us because they enjoy and respect how we are and who we are. You know, you can know something, but if you're not living your best life, it's hard for people to really follow and trust. And the other part was hard leadership skills. So whether you've been leading for 40 years or two minutes, we can always evolve in that. And uh, my definition of it is very quick influence. Can you positively influence people to move forward to on the vision and the goal and be productive in a positive manner? Can you be of influence by the way you're carrying yourself, your knowledge base? And then can you be of impact? I think we can all look back on bosses, coaches, people that stood out and you think about them 20 years ago and you remember a lesson that they imparted on you and whether that was from a tough lesson or admiration, whatever it was. Can you and will you be that for someone 20 years from now? Well, I really, I really you know, like that definition of leadership. And, uh, you know, from what I know of you, you have been influencing people positively for quite a long time. <laughs> you know, you've been a relationship coach for a long time, but let's go back. Was there a time yeah. where you felt like you were struggling as a leader or you were struggling to be a positive influence for others? Uh yeah, actually, there was two big ones that really stood out for me. Um, one, when I was first elevated to a position of leadership as an employee. And, um, you know, the truth is most people are promoted 
because they do one thing really well. And I was great at, I, I feel I'm biased, but I feel like I was really good at being a mental health therapist at the time. Like I really enjoyed it. And I was big on the focus of treatment. Um, however, with the promotion, becoming a leader, well, now I'm supervising my friends, my ex coworkers. And I made the rookie mistake that so many leaders make where I wanted to create a bunch of mini me's. I wanted them to know what I knew I wanted. And I only valued if they knew it, like how I knew it and would do it and make decisions like I would. And, uh, you know, I really was struggling to realize at that time that they all got to their definition of success with their superpower and what they did well. And, um, being able to see their superpower and put them in the right seat and get a vision and find out what motivates them so they could be great for the team and an organization. Um, that was a big challenge. Um, the other point is when I first started you evolving now, it wasn't called you evolving. Now I never knew that this was going to happen. I started an organization called men evolving. Now, you know, I went through a divorce over a decade ago. I was going through tough times trying to find myself and what was going on and recreate a life. And I knew there was other good men out there. And they just had nowhere good to be and no one good to do it with. So I started this organization and started in my living room in 2011. And it kept evolving, but then it really got to a point where, okay, people are coming for reasons and seasons. And when that season passes, they leave. This is going to die if I keep doing the business this way. So I experienced that first question in a position of employment and being a leader, but then as a leader of your own entrepreneurial business, being able to see down the line, make the hard changes that will lose some, but gain the masses. That was a hard decision to make to decide to evolve and go in a new direction. I just really enjoyed your book, Andre. It was very powerful. And you talked about the relationship triangle, which we talked about on our last episode when we talked that was like i said episode 445 but one of the things we didn't talk about was your definition of ceo so can we talk about that <laughs> yeah i really i feel like everyone when when you think of the word ceo or the acronym ceo i think we all picture somebody in this big corner office you know, great, beautifully designed thing. And, you know, this aspiration, this power, this knowledge. And, you know, sometimes it is like that. A lot of times it's not like that, but we can all be CEOs of our own life, chief executive operator. So, you know, you're, you, you officer, you are the manager, the leader of your own life. And whether you are doing this in your relationships, whether you are doing it as an entry-level employee or whether you're doing it as an actual CEO, you got to care for people. You got to embrace different ideas. You got to optimize leadership. You got to do all of these different things to really make sure that you are leading, influencing, impacting, protecting, and setting expectations. And I think a lot of time we get into a lot of trouble as leaders, professionally and personally, because we haven't set a vision the three to five vision factors that we know when we do them and the team does them consistently, your family does it consistently, the vision has to happen. And then setting up some standards and expectations that you're going to maintain as high. And then people have a decision whether to stay with you or not, or, and you have a decision whether people, everybody that starts with you doesn't necessarily get to or have to finish with you. 
Yeah. So being a CEO is a choice. You can wait, you can start right now. You can wake up tomorrow and say, I am now in charge of my life, my future, my relationships, and not in a dominant way, but in an evolution way where we are all a product of our process, a product of our daily decision, a product of our habits. So what are you going to do about it today and every day? Andre, you speak so well, you write so well, you have this successful business. Have you ever had an issue with the desire for perfection? Let's talk about perfection. (laughs) Because I want to talk about perfection and leadership because so much of what we do, we try to get everything right and we put so much effort into getting everything just so. And then all of a sudden, sometimes we can find out that in itself is a problem. Have you ever had a problem with Mm -hmm. that? Absolutely not, because my wife is a perfectionist, like to the T and her, I I will say her vision and her in-game product is the best I've ever seen in the world from anyone, what she can picture in her mind, but she needs to be perfect with it. And she is. And I see the energy it takes. I have the exact opposite issue. I have a thought and I want to go, I want to go, I want to go like my, my one-year-old daughter she goes just like me, like just pure. So uh, to be very honest, I'm not concerned about it being perfect. I'm concerned about starting and then evolving it through the process. And sometimes that's gotten me in trouble because I'm like, okay, well I started and now I have to fine tune and clean up and do different things. But I just really learned that when you start with great intent, when you start with great impact, and then you're evolving it to the people's customers, clients, people's needs, it's okay with them. It's okay with them. It doesn't have to start off perfect. What not much has, you know, you look at Amazon, Amazon's great. It has gotten so much better and evolved over the years. They made it so easy for you to live by purchase and be didn't start like that. It got like that. So, but it all started with a powerful, impactful idea and concept to change and, and, and let the world evolve. So that's what I believe in. I don't have a, now the word perfect though, from a personal standpoint, I believe gets a lot of us in trouble. Um, I um, read something years ago from the Toltec. So a Native American philosophy. And it really, you know, sparked something in me because you'll hear so many people say, well, I'm not perfect. It's almost like an excuse to make a mistake or excuse to be average or whatever it is. And the Toltec says, you are perfect. When you look at the different trees outside, you don't look at that tree and say that tree's less perfect than that tree or that star's less perfect than that star. Because it's all involved in the universe together, it's all perfect. And it's all useful. We all need and you know, symbiotic. So we may not always behave perfectly. But I think it's valuable to look at ourselves as people and say, I am perfect. I'm a part of this universe. So that's that's just a little side thing on perfection that I read a long time ago that really made me feel great. And I hope that does something for someone else out there. Yes, I I believe it will. I believe it will. We we are perfect already. And that's a great image when you talked about the tree and we don't look at a tree or a flower or think, you know, that one's not perfect. We, you know, everyone is perfect. Yeah. We never judge it. And we're a part of all of this. And if somebody's behavior or 
downside or whatever it is, it allows somebody's upside to help that. You know, so we all have superpowers and our perfection is the fact that we can blend them to all be better. And one of the things that a lot of us have is an ability to be a great leader, no matter where we are, what we're doing, what what part of life we're in, we can be a powerful leader. And I think it's very important for leaders to take a stand, make make statements and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, be unafraid to make an impact on other people. And having said that, I know that there are a lot of protests underway in the United States right now. We've had some here in Canada too, but I'd like to talk to you about your life as a black man and how you feel the color of your skin has affected the way you think. And if it's Mm. affected the way you think as a leader. It's a great question. Could I say it's affected the way that I think? Because I've always been a black man and nothing else, I would have to say yes, but I don't know how it would be different from other people. What I do know, speaking for myself and not for every black person, I could say that I've been through a journey and been through a process. Because it's not always, too, about race. It's also about place. So I'm a black man from the inner city of Philadelphia. And my first experience outside of that, I went to uh, play football at Kutztown University. And if anybody knows Kutztown University, you know it is the exact opposite of inner city Philadelphia. So, uh, you know, predominantly all white uh, university, heavy on in Amish country. So you'll actually see the horses and buggies and the click clack. And it was very, very hard being because Philadelphia could have segregated uh, neighborhoods, you know, so you could have a black section, an Asian section, a white section. So I went from being around everybody that looked like me to pretty much no one that looked like me, every class I went to, everything. And um, just understanding how different the world was. And I remember coming in (laughs) my freshman year, I went to an English class and the professor, and I'm the only black student in there. I'm a football player. I'm about six foot, 200 pounds. Professor said something like, well, I didn't notice that you were black. And I know what he meant but it frustrated me so much because even though I know what you mean, it sounds completely ridiculous. I am the only person of color in this classroom. I'm six foot, 200 pound wearing a football uh, track suit. And you said you didn't notice that. It's okay to notice that. It's okay to notice that, that there's a difference in front of your face, you know, throughout college and, you know, afterwards, you know, I've, had racial experiences, been called the N-word, all of these different things. And one of the things that I tell my kids, it is very rare a lot of times that it's going to be the stranger that jumps out of the bushes and calls you the N-word. Most of the time, it's going to come from somebody that you know, a friend, and they say something that you didn't challenge back. You didn't set a standard and expectation for. And because you didn't, they said it again in the larger group and you felt embarrassed and now you want to fight. So um, it's very important to stand up for yourself. Um, And when I became a professional, again, I'm still the only one. You move out of the inner city. Now you're the only one. You live in the neighborhood. Now you're the only one. And what a lot of people don't talk about is what happens afterwards or that subtle transition where I had this two sides of myself. I had Philadelphia Andre that could be that way. 
And then I had the professional side that can be that way. So it feels like you can live two different lives and there's some excitement in that. But then as you evolve, they start to just blend. And, you know, there were times where I just felt like I needed to go home because I wanted to just be around immediately people that look like you. The difficulty with that is at some point, as uh, for me, as a black man, at some point you didn't feel like you had a home. Because if you go home, well, you've changed. You're not really the same as, you know, doing the same things as you did before. So you feel kind of feel out of place. I really don't like so much what I'm doing here anymore. But then you go back to work or your neighborhood and you're like, well, I really don't feel like I fit in here. So you really start to internalize and create a life and a lifestyle that's uh, meaningful for you. So I meet great people. We decided, decided to start networking and have coffee. And now, as we talked about before the show, I send out a text to about 20 great people, black, white, Spanish, older, younger, it doesn't matter. They're great people. They're great leaders personally or professionally or both. And I get with them once a month because self-care as a leader is important. And I can sit down and it's not about um, race. It's about who I am now and who I decide to spend my time with. Well, I'm so glad you told that story about your prof, because one of the questions I wanted to ask you is how does it make you feel if somebody says, oh, I don't see color? Like, because I, I was going to say, it sounds so ridiculous. Um, I, it used to make me frustrated, but over time, the first thing that I feel is, okay, I know what you think you right. mean. So you mean no harm. Yeah. Um, however, it's hard to evolve when you don't see color or can understand the plights of their difference. Um, so for example, for the past few months, you know, George Floyd's yes. death, murder, and you've heard so much black lives matter and different things. And, you know, I, I love hearing it. And now that, you know, un, with such an unfortunate mur murder and death and how awful that was, what it's done, not only for black people, but all minorities, you're now seeing pop up on the news. I watch a lot of NFL network and now the women, you know, in, in leadership, women in roles are now saying, Hey, you know, here's some issues here too. So when I was listening from a black lives matter standpoint, I knew what they were talking about. Like I, I already knew the story. I knew how it was. I knew how it felt. Now hearing the women say their piece, I'm listening like, huh. yeah, I didn't really know all of that or I thought I understood it, but now hearing more stories or how things can change. And I'm looking at my wife in a male dominated uh, environment and what she must be going through. I have two daughters and what they're about to be going through one 20 years old and one, one years old. And it just, so to say, I don't see that's like, Oh, I don't know that you're a woman. I don't see you as a woman. Like that would be yes, ridiculous. And I can't understand or respect your plight or more importantly, what you need. So I, when I hear it, my first thing now is you don't mean any harm, but you also don't understand what you're harming by doing that. Andre, I want to thank you for uh, approaching this topic, which is something that we all, I believe, need to be talking about and just be willing to find out what different people's opinions and thoughts are. I want to go back to your book, Seven Ways to Lead. What was the most challenging chapter that you wrote for that book? 
<laughs> Actually, the most challenging chapter that I wrote is the one that I do speaking engagements on the most. And it's called the leader seven. So the seven languages professionally that your people need to hear, want to hear and benefit most from hearing. The reason it was the most challenging is because midway through writing it, I realized that I wrote a juggernaut. Like, you know, if you write a lot, you do a lot of content, you value everything that you write, but you know when you, when you wrote something or said something big that's game-changing. And I've never had that feeling before. And I said, oh my goodness, this is it. I couldn't, I couldn't finish writing it. I immediately made it a speaking engagement, started booking and doing trainings on it. And I then had to go back and finish it. It's the only thing I've ever written that that happened like that. Like there's other things that I speak about. There's other things that I train about. When I wrote that, the challenge was I want to go so fast that I couldn't even finish writing it. I had to come back to it. And, um, you know, I'm glad I did. It is, uh, for me, I've seen it evolve companies and leaderships and teams so much because now you know how to speak everybody's language in your building. And once you know, you can't unknow. And then how dare you choose not to do? If your wife or your husband says they love flowers and you know it and you don't give it, what kind of leader are you? What did you expect to happen? Good point. I want to talk about Ed Burns, your friend Ed oh, Burns, Ed. and how he motivated <laughs> he you to Ed. write three blogs a week. And that changed your life, didn't it, Andre? It sure did. And I thank him every time I see him. Uh, Ed's a big cigar guy and I love cigars. We frequent the same place. Um, when I first started, when I tell people all the time, look, marry your dream, but not the path. So marry your dream, but not how you think you want to get there or most dangerously, how you think you deserve to get there. So I was coming out, I was starting my own company and I had, uh, you know, started the website and I wanted to post content, but I was coming out of the world of mental health. I didn't want to write one more sentence, one more letter if I didn't have to with the amount of paperwork that you know, it takes to be in that profession. And that's the way I saw writing at the time. So I was doing a lot of videos and that's just what I wanted to put on there. So I want to put videos on there. And Ed looked at me very calm because you know Ed Burns. And he said, for SEOs, and I had no idea what he was talking about yeah. at the time, for SEOs and for this to be relevant, for people to see it, you're going to have to write three times a week. And my initial response was, oh, no, I am not doing that. I don't want to do it. However, I married my dream. Therefore, this is what I'm going to do. So begrudgingly, I sat down on a Sunday afternoon, morning, actually. And I timed myself, how long is it going to take for me to write an article? And the first article I ever wrote, it took me about 25 minutes to 30 minutes. And I said, oh, I could sacrifice that. I can do that. So I started doing that for three days a week and I just never stopped writing. And it was the biggest game changer because we can do videos and that's great. What it actually does for you mentally and how it gets embedded in your mind when you're writing it and then always have it to go back to. And then the fact that it could become a book, like I've never sat out to write a specific book. I write now one day a week, um, but I write all the time. And when I have an idea for a book, when that epiphany comes, 
I simply look back and I might have two years worth of material from writing once a week. The book's already mm -hmm. done. It's just really reorganizing it. What order does it need to be in? And I might have to wind up in writing 10 more chapters to fill it up. But the book's already done when you do that that way. And I really structured. I, like, I, don't, I don't like a lot of fluff. So I like to get right to the point. My first paragraph is always what we're talking about, then why we're talking about it, and then what to do about it. So uh, I, I don't want people walking away when people say, are you a motivational speaker? And I cringe. I cringe because a lot of times a motivational speaker is necessary. It's great and it feels good, but you wake up on Wednesday and don't know what to do. Right. And I said, I, I promise myself and anybody that follows me that I will never do that. You can be found at youevolvingnow.com. And yes. uh, I know that you do trainings of different sorts. I know that you have online trainings and virtual trainings. How has the pandemic changed the way you deliver your trainings or has it? Uh, very much so. One, you just couldn't be in front of people. Yeah. So I was very fortunate that only one thing canceled and rescheduled for 2021. Everything else got kind of pushed back. So the end of my year, God willing, it stays, you know, uh, is very, very uh, productive. <laughs> I don't like the word busy, but wow, is it productive. Um, it allowed me to start doing more one-on-one -on -one coaching is because it's not something that I was really advertising that I do. If someone reached out, I knew they were serious and then we could do something. Uh, so when I started promoting more of that, but the most important thing that I did was create an online my online evolve and lead training program. So I was doing that live for companies or teams and going through that process. I said, I wanted to come out of COVID with three big things that will help my mission evolve. And that online training, now people can get me uh, online pre-recorded is very interactive, still high energy, like myself, um, powerful questions. You can use it in groups. You can use it, uh, individually. And it's something that can now stand the test of time and be there, you know, forever. And I can update it every year and things like that. So that was how I really started to morph what I was doing. And the big word was pivot. Uh, so being, being to be able to do online, more virtual, uh, and 2021 is coming, making the connections so you can still have your business if you're an entrepreneur and do business and make an impact. Look, the end of the year is coming. 2021 is coming. 2022 is coming. Make the connections, set things up now. So when the world starts to spin again, you're okay. When you teach and you coach, when you train, what elements do you use in that teaching that you've learned from your four children? Oh, well, that's a really, really good question. From my four kids, what I learned in the elements that I teach is that if you have multiple children, anyone out there that has multiple children, you know how different they all are. And treating them all the same would be ridiculous. It, they all need something different. They all see the world in a different way. And they all got you at a different time of your life. So in coaching leaders, yes, you can impart skills, but the biggest thing that you can help a leader do 
is to understand what the other people in their life need and marry the vision, marry the expectations, marry your knowledge with that. And it's amazing what people will start doing with you for your cause and how they'll do it in such a more positive manner. So, you know, my one son, for example, I, I teach the get great question. So asking people, hey, I want to be the best blank, whatever. I want to be the best husband, employee, employer, father, husband, whatever it is. I want to be the best. What is it that you need from me? And then really giving them permission to answer because their first response really is going to be like, oh, nothing or I'm good or keep doing what you're doing. And I call that a leader's pacification. And you can't let that happen. So I asked my son, he's 17. He's a basketball player. He's had a dream of doing things for a while, but he wasn't doing the daily things to get to his dream. And I'm a big dream person. You tell me your dream. Hey, I'll help you if you want it. So I was helping a lot. So I asked him one day to get great question, Bruce, right? And I said, what do you need from me? And he looked at me and he said, I need you to back off. Ooh, ouch. Ooh. So I teach leaders as I have to do myself. Just because you ask it doesn't mean you're going to get the answer you want or are ready for or enjoy. But he told me and I backed off. And I've watched him, how he wants to do it, become a better basketball player. He had his first summer game yesterday, last night. And I called my father. I said, Dad, the boy has officially become a baller. I watched him move like I've never seen him move before. In one game, he had four threes, had two other buckets. He's blocking shots. I said, what? (laughs) So he needed me to back off. My 12-year-old, we train all the time. My, uh, my 20-year-old, she said, tell me you love me and leave me alone. Oh. I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and my one-year-old, she's one. We just yeah. play, you know? And, and I put on motivational videos in her room while we're just chilling. So it's seeping in unconsciously. Um, so that's what I learned. And that's what I impart for, for leaders. Know what your people need, feed it, and marry it with your vision and expectations. That's really powerful. Well, I enjoyed your book so much, Seven Ways to Lead. And uh, I want to ask you if you've received some feedback that you can share with us. What kind of feedback have you received so far? Because I know that the publication date, the actual publication date is coming up in December, but I'm sure there have been some people that have read it already. Well, um, one of the things that I the biggest compliment that I got was actually from my publisher. And when I submitted it, they said, I wouldn't, I don't have anything to change inside or outside. And I was like, <laughs> like I, I had a hard time really like that was the biggest compliment that I've, that I've ever. And a lot of the content in the book, you know, I also do at trainings and things as well and speaking engagements and to hear people, especially because when you buy a leadership book, So many people are trying to get the skill, but they miss out on the work-life harmony part. And to listen to CEOs or leaders or managers say, my marriage is better because of this, or I haven't thought about how I return home, or I haven't thought about the bully words that I've been using because now they're happier. One of the things about protection, I say, leaders, sometimes we need to protect our people from ourselves. 
you come in after like your, your people can't have that 10 page hate text, you know, at, at, at work while they're on the factory line. You can in your office and then you come out of there screaming and ranting and raving and people don't know what was wrong with you. So home and work life harmony has become so important, especially now with so much remote work. You know, uh, it, it's just become important that way. And then from a leadership perspective with actual leadership skills. To see people stop burning themselves out, being their definition of busy. They're leading the way they want to lead, whether professionally or personally, and then that gives them a right, they feel, to have their adult temper tantrum to say, look at how much I'm doing. But if it's not what they need, you're just busy being busy. So those, those are the biggest things that I've heard from the book, but also the actual trainings that I do with people regarding the content in the book. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's such a powerful book and, and I know last time we talked about this, but I think it's worth just reiterating the bullying eight, the eight words to avoid. Let's just go over that for everybody because it's such an important thing to be reminded of. Sure. Sure. I thought, I think I might've added one since the last time we'll see. So we have, but if can't, Try, just, only, should, deserve. And the last one is happy. Uh, You have added happy. Happy. So I've added happy because so many, I like being happy. You know, I think everybody, most people like being happy. I'm sure there's a population that doesn't enjoy it. However, who gets to be happy all the time? That doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It's not even how we're wired as humans, is it? No, like you don't get to be happy all the time. And I define happiness versus joy and people do can do it different ways around. This is the way I do it. Happiness means externally things had to go your way for you to find momentary happiness. Like people say money don't buy you happiness. And I say bull crap. Yes, it does. I've been on a jet ski in Jamaica and I was quite, quite happy. Yeah. You know, you can, <laughs> you can do a lot of things that make you feel happy for the moment but who gets to do that? How can it go that way all the time? Joy is something internal. And even if the world is burning, even if things happen or your dream crashes or whatever it is, you still feel joyful because of who you are as a person, your code of ethics and how you are and how you operate your personal leadership. Like we talked about before can bring joy even in sad times. So happiness, you just don't get to be all the time. I mean, how many divorces and because I'm not happy? Well, yeah, I spoke with a woman years ago. She said something that stood out for me. And I, I always ask people who've been married a long time or older, what's your secret? Because I wrote in the book about it, but what's your secret? And she said, well, you have your good or, and bad years. I said, whoa. She didn't say minutes, days, months. She said, you have your good and bad years. So the fact that you think you're going to be happy every minute of the day and you're going to end something only because you're not happy right now is is a hard way to lead. Leaders don't get to be happy all the time. So uh, there's a lot of other words there. And I teach like, how do you replace them? Because it's one thing to eliminate them, but what do you replace it with? Because it's like someone telling you what they're going to stop. 
and I know you're going to fail because if you haven't told me what you're going to start after you stop, then you don't have a plan. You're hoping. Well, the word but is one that we need to replace. I can tell you that. I mean, they all are. All of those words, you know, we need to kind of have a, an alert or a red flag come up when we're using those words. That's for sure. And uh, well, here, I, I'll break it down yeah. simply, but replace it with a semicolon because everybody knows that anything after but is bullcrap, yes. right? So you say, look, I'm sorry I hurt you, Bruce. No, but pause, semicolon, pause. I was having a bad day and it won't happen again. Sounds a whole lot better than, hey, sorry I hurt you, Bruce, but you were just. It sounds completely different. Sounds completely different. So we have if. I replace it with when. My kids, you want to play pro? You don't get to say, well, if I make it. No, when I make it. If sets up this cushion pad for your failure that if you fail, you've kind of set and planted that seed that it's going to be okay. No, when I make it. And I tell anybody who has a dream, anybody that's coaching someone that has a dream, don't focus on plan B. Nobody wants their plan B life or their plan B wife or husband. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to settle for that. Expand plan A. My son wants to play in the NFL. Great. What do you want to do when you're finished playing? Because you will most likely retire younger than I am now. You got more rings than Tom Brady will still retire younger than I am now. So whatever the answer to that question is on what else you're interested in, let's focus on that too. So whether you stop playing two minutes from now or 20 years from now, it's all a part of plan A. So protect, you know, if if you can look at it like that and talk to your people like that, talk to yourself like that, plan A is way better than plan B. Um, what was the next one? Can't. Oh my goodness. I can't stand the can't. So I tell me what you can't do is grow wings out of your back and fly out of this room. Can't do that. And if you can, please YouTube it. We'll go viral. Let's try to make some money off. What can't really means is that a, I don't want to, or B it's really hard for me. I really struggled with math and I said, I couldn't do it. The truth is I didn't want to do it. And I have a hard time learning things that I don't care about. That's the real truth. So I tell employees, don't walk around here telling, you know, telling your bosses that Andre said you don't want to do it, (laughs) you know, but it's really the truth. It's not, I can't, it's either I don't want to, or it's really hard for me. And that's the truth. When we start looking at just and only You know, if I told you, Bruce, and I would never say this, oh, you're only a, or you're just a, as nice as you are, you might be willing to fight. I would be. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) You know, it's an insult. So when we say it to ourselves, I'm just a, or I'm only a, and I've heard that a lot where I only go to community college or I'm just an executive assistant. I said, if somebody said that about you, you'd be willing to fight. Don't minimize yourself. You replace it with, I am a, and this is where I'm going. This is my plan. Feels up, think what you think will impact how you feel, then impact what you do. And then the consequences, either positive or negative thereafter. So when you walk around with that bully language, saying it to yourself or other people, eventually you add that, multiply that by days, months, years, decades. How do you think your life is going to be? 
the other one deserve. It is the biggest word that allows us to peacock, stick our chest out and have a temper tantrum. I deserve that raise. Well, maybe you do. The truth is you don't have it. What you were really saying is, I want that raise. And then by asking the get great question to your boss of, what do I have to do to get that raise? I want to be great here. How can I get that? Instead of, I deserve. Now you're going to get an answer. See, if they don't have an answer, that's an issue because you're going to know a lot of who you're dealing with by their answer. How do I get that? If they don't have an answer, hey, I'd really like to talk to you about it. Can we set up a time? Once you get an answer, now are, is it reasonable, doable, and fair for who you are to do that? And if so, do it a little bit outside of your comfort zone. Now, the race still doesn't come. Now you have a decision to make if this is where you're going to stay or not. And if you leave, fine, but you don't have to leave angry. Develop your skills before you leave. So you're a superstar walking out of there and they're sorry that you left. And I can't tell you how many people have been asked to come back and wind up for more money. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So if you stay, stop complaining. Good advice. Find the positives and why you're here and what you're going to get out of the experience and come to work. And that's for relationships too. It, you, you shared, Hey, what do you need from me? What do I need to get what I want, so to speak? And because it's reciprocity, but I'm not going to stop being great to you because I'm not getting what I want. Now, things go great. You get to pat yourself on the back for your part. Things don't. You get to sleep in peace knowing you did everything the right way. Yeah. And stay or leave. If you want to leave, leave. That's fine. You don't got to argue anymore. That's the whole point of leaving. What are you arguing for? <laughs> Very good point. But if you're going to, <laughs> you know, but if you're going to stay, stay. Find the positives and be as great as you can. Mindful Tribe, get the book, Seven Ways to Lead. And also then you'll probably want to get Andre's other book, Seven Ways to Love, which came out in 2017, which was a very, very powerful book. And, you know, if you want to improve your relationships, that's a great book to get your hands on as well. So Andre, it's been really terrific having you here to talk about your new book, Seven Ways to Lead. Thank you so much. What are your final words of advice? Oh, wow. Final words of advice, especially for when you're listening to this and when we're going through a global pandemic. Um, acknowledge, accept, decide, and do. Um, it's a formula for success, but especially with so many of us going through transition, going through change. First, let's acknowledge where we are, not where we wanna be, not where we're depressed about not being. Let's acknowledge exactly where we are. Let's accept where we are and say, hey, this, this is it. Let's decide what you wanna be, who you wanna be, and how you wanna be as a person, as a partner, as a professional in your dream and then decide to do something about it daily. You, we do that, we'll be just fine coming out of this. Please, as a people, as a person, and as all of the roles that we play, let's come out of COVID better than we went into it. With all of this time, with all of this opportunity, how can we not? How dare we not? 
How dare we not? So check out youevolvingnow.com. And thank you again, Andre, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was absolutely my pleasure, Bruce. Thank you for having me. And to everybody listening, I hope you have a fantastic day and enjoy your evolution. Right. Bye now. Mindful Tribe, I hope you enjoyed today's interview. If you did, please tell your friends about the show. Every person who subscribes and listens helps our show. So in the meantime, take what you heard today and reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode. 